Welcome back to this week's episode of The Emily Show. We're going to be talking about Tom Girardi, Girardi Keese, and the Lion Air settlements. There have been now three days of contempt hearings going on about this, and it's asking the question that a lot of us have been asking since the beginning is what is the lawyer's responsibility in any of this. The media has talked a lot about, and we've on this show and on my content on YouTube talked a lot about what did Erica know, what didn't she know, but what we haven't gotten to talk about as much is what responsibility did the lawyers at the law firm have and even co-counsel Edelson PC have when it comes to Girardi Keese not paying the Lion Air crash clients, the literal widows and orphans that were brought up in the Edelson PC lawsuit back in December of 2020. And that is what we are covering today after those three days of hearing. And we're bringing in, we're bringing in some, some voicemails, some that were included in the original Edelson PC lawsuit against Tom Girardi, his firm, Erica Girardi alleged the divorce was a sham and all of that. And some that are exclusive to this episode of The Emily Show that I think bring light to what we're talking about, who knew what, when, and what this judge is going to do next. Buckle up. There is a lot in store for this episode, and I cannot wait to get into it. So you know what we should do? We should just get into it. Hey there. Welcome to The Emily Show. I'm your host, Emily D. Baker, badass lawyer and everyone's favorite legal commentator, breaking down the legal shit in the news and pop culture stories you want to talk about. I've been a licensed attorney for over 15 years. I'm a former prosecutor and I'm a big fan of the cursey words. So let's break it down. First, I think we need to talk about how we got here. I still think and have said from the beginning that the Edelson PC, which is a law firm in Illinois, that their lawsuit against Tom Girardi is really what brought the media's uh, attention on to what was going on with the Girardi case. It was like that moment where everybody was like, wait, what did you just say? Because remember, Erica filed for divorce in early November and everybody was like, shooketh. I was shooketh, but filed on like election day when we learned about the kind of the thought behind that during this last season of Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. And I was like, wait, what? And we learned from testimony during the third day of the contempt hearing that this was one of the big milestones that caused Jay Edelson to say, we have to move now uh, because there was concern that the money was gone. Jay Edelson said in his testimony that he believed that the marriage seemed transactional. And this was his impression that the marriage seemed transactional. And he was worried that if she was gone, that the money was also gone, or if the money was gone, that she would also be gone. And that's something that is alluded to in this lawsuit. And it's something that he has stated in other interviews and um, statements to the media as well. So it was that initial Edelson PC lawsuit that talked about widows and orphans. It talked about perhaps the divorce being a sham that alleged a $20 million loan, like all the tea was in there. And I will link the episode covering that from a year ago down below. It also seemed to allege that Girardi Keese was running almost like a Ponzi scheme with, you know, new settlements coming in to cover old settlements and other debts. And that truly still, still from everything that has continued to come out still seems to be what was going on at least in 2019-2020 at Girardi Keys, and by all accounts for a long time before that. So in December of 2020, Edelson PC filed the lawsuit, literal widows and orphans, but also filed a motion for a rule to show cause in the Lion Air case. Edelson PC was local counsel in Illinois to Girardi Keys on the Lion Air case. And we learned from Jay Edelson's testimony at the contempt hearing that an attorney at the firm, it was either Lyra or Griffin, I think it was Griffin, had reached out and said, hey, we're going to need local counsel. We have this air crash. Uh, we have clients that we we need help with. Do you want to work with this on this? Jay Ellison said at the time that it seemed, you know, Girardi Keys had a good reputation, that though they work um, kind of some of these mass tort type cases, they had not worked a plane crash case like this so that taking the case and working with them wasn't a problem at the time. He also went on to testify in kind of that same line that he had, um, 
gone out to Los Angeles to go to the Girardi Keys offices to meet with Tom Girardi and talked about the office looking like something that was being operated in the 70s or 80s, like it kind of being a time warp. And Edelson PC is a more uh, tech-savvy firm and a high-tech firm, uh, but (laughs) younger founders of Jay Edelson graduated from law school in 1997 and is clearly much younger than Tom Girardi, but that the Girardi Keys office was not a modern office. And this we've seen described by the bankruptcy trustees as well, that the office was like trails through stacks of paper everywhere and that all of the systems were in disarray. And this is a theme that we're continuing to hear that the accountings and the the documentation and everything is not well-kept, was not modern, was not kept on computers. And we heard this in Real Housewives as well from Erica talking about the fact that Tom still used a flip phone, that he didn't email or use a computer. This was also reiterated in Jay Edelson's testimony that Tom Jordy did not use a computer. And we heard Erica snarkily say during one of the episodes of the um, of the reunion that she had seen uh, pictures of some woman's breasts on Tom's flip phone. Like somebody was sexting him on the, the flip phone was the impression that she left me with. And then she had tried to text back like nice tits, stupid bitch, but couldn't get the space in there. Cause you have to do the like three time press on the letter and was trying to text back from this old flip phone. And she was trying to be kind of glib about it, but it just kind of was, I don't know. You tell me what you think about it. <laughs> I thought it was a, I don't know. I did. I did. Who am I to say what one would do when they find, you know, those types of photos on their spouse's flip phone? Who knows? But this, this overarching theme that the office was not a modern office has come up multiple times. And the fact that Tom Jordy was not technologically savvy plays heavily into what comes later. So Edelson PC filed this rule to show cause um, motion, essentially asking the court to determine whether there needed to be um, contempt in this case. And we learned quite a lot from this motion, not just the lawyers from Edelson PC that were involved, and we saw some of them testify at the contempt hearings, um, Ari Schrag and Rafi Balbanian, but we also learn about the timing of the uh, funding of the settlements for the clients from Boeing and Boeing funded the settlements after they were reached. And then what was supposed to happen is that Boeing was supposed to send the money to Girardi Keese by wire. And then Girardi Keese was supposed to hold that in trust and then distribute it to the clients. And it was Edelson PC's uh, firm's responsibility to make sure that the settlements were signed off on by the court, particularly when it was dealing with settlements for minors um, who were the, you know, the, the literal orphans in this case who had lost someone in the Lion Air crash. What we also learned from that motion was more of the timing of how things went down. And we learned in the contempt hearing, it was reiterated again, that these things were funded, the settlements were funded in March 2020, right at the beginning of all of the COVID lockdowns. And we then learned from the motion that Through June and July, they, you know, Edelson PC is still trying to figure out what's going on with the settlements. They are told by Lyra in a July 6th letter that the Lion Air clients received their settlement proceeds, but that some had not. There's back and forth about what's going on with Tom Girardi. Late in July, it's indicated to Edelson PC by Keith Griffin that there was a problem with Girardi being unavailable due to a serious illness. We hear more about that in the uh, contempt hearing with Edelson, Jay Edelson's testimony, which we'll talk about in a few minutes. And then we have like these groups of voicemails that were not just in the Edelson PC lawsuit, but that I also have um, some that have not yet been released publicly that we are going to, we are going to discuss in just a few moments. Then there's discussion of a November, 2020 letter from Lyra saying that the settlement payments were not quite done yet or and that Girardi Keese's 50% interest was going to attorneys lending. And then this led to calls in November trying to figure out what was happening. It seems from the motion that Edelson PC was under the impression that the clients had been paid. But then this November phone call makes it clear that the clients had not been fully paid. And 
At this point, David Lira had already left Girardi Keys. Remember, he is Tom Girardi's son-in-law, and we learn more about that in the contempt hearing as well. So then in November, it becomes apparent, it seems, to Edelson PC that there are some, some very clear mixed messages, and then the divorce filing. But also the motion says that in that November letter, um, Griffin stated that he was not that he was, well, the motion says skeptical that Girardi or Girardi Keys had the finances or the financial means to satisfy all of Girardi Keys's obligations to some of the Lion Air clients and Edelson PC for their fees as co-counsel. And I think all of that taken together is what led Edelson to file not just a lawsuit, but a motion with the court. Before we get into what happened at those hearings, though, we need to take a moment to thank today's sponsor. It is the holidays, and if you want to give yourself the gift of law nerdiness, it is a perfect time to come over and join the Law Nerd community on Patreon. You get access to the exclusive I Have Thoughts podcast that I put out monthly and sometimes more. And if you choose one of the three L tier levels, you also get access to quarterly Zoom calls with me and other members of the Law Nerd community. So it is a great way to give yourself or the law nerd in your life a treat this holiday season and come connect with me. Even when I'm more offline, I am still around on Patreon sharing articles, my thoughts, cases that I'm looking at, asking you for input on what we should cover next. And of course, providing the I Have Thoughts podcast. So if you want to check out Patreon, head over to lawnerdsunite.com and it will get you there. Or you can go to patreon.com slash Emily D. Baker and come join the Law Nerd community. Let me know if you're coming over from the podcast by sending me a DM when you join saying, Emily, I'm coming over from the podcast and I will be happy to not just wish you a happy holidays, but welcome you into the community over there on Patreon. Hope to see you there. Don't forget to send me a DM. Let's get into what we learned from these three days of hearing. Now, Keith Griffin, I should back up. Emily, don't get ahead of yourself. Before these hearings took place, this order to show cause rule was filed in December 2020. Later in December 2020, the court already held Tom Girardi and Girardi Keese in contempt. So these hearings really are over what comes next because it's clear that Girardi and Girardi Keese violated the court orders to fund the settlements for the Lion Air clients. But now it really is what happens next. I think it's unlikely the court will find either um, David Lira or Keith Griffin in contempt at this point. I don't know if the court will find Edelson PC in contempt. I don't think that's what the court's looking for. I think the court is looking for who to sanction at this point. In these contempt hearings, we not only learned more about what was going on in Girardi Keys and who's responsible, but we also learned a little bit more about Tom Girardi. I thought it was very interesting to learn about what was going on with Lyra, David Lyra, who is Girardi's son-in-law, and Girardi. And this is coming from Bloomberg Law, talking about Lyra, Lyra talking to Girardi as all of this was going down. They say that Lyra said specifically he remembers reminding Girardi that his family name was on the advocacy center at Loyola Law School in Los Angeles. He said that Girardi listened, nodded, and told him he would take care of it. Lyra, who is also Girardi's son-in-law, said they weren't close and that Girardi had zero relationship with Lyra's children and had only visited his home a handful of times in the last few years. Lyra also said when he resigned in June 2020 that he called Girardi a thief. Girardi begged Lyra to stay, saying that he would resolve everything soon. He also said that he learned a few weeks later that Girardi hadn't followed through in resolving the client funding issues. Lyra admitted according to BloombergLaw.com, when pressed by the judge, Judge Durkin, that there were other things he could have done when he learned that only half the money had been paid to the Lion Air clients, that Lyra was a signatory on the trust account. So he could have directed the bank to pay the clients or to get the trust records that he had been refused by the CFO of the law firm. Girardi and the CFO of the law firm, by the way, did not testify. Both indicated through counsel that they would plead the fifth if they were called to testify, which 
you have the right to plead the fifth in civil proceedings when there is a potential for criminal investigation. And we know that a criminal investigation was initiated with regard to the Lion Air case, with regard to Tom Girardi. Judge Durkin said that back in December of 2020. And then there were motions filed by the AUSAs to release certain sealed documents to them pursuant to their investigation. So we know that an investigation has been started, which we knew back in December 2020 when the judge says, I am referring this to the feds because seriously, WTF. The court did not say seriously, WTF. I've added that. But you know he was thinking it. I mean, we know he was because every lawyer ever and every judge ever looking at this is going, no, but seriously. What the fuck is this anyway? Some of the testimony from Lyra that I found the most disheartening, other than the fact that Tom Doherty apparently doesn't have much of a relationship with this set of grandchildren and David Lyra and his daughter, which was surprising to me, truthfully, um, and, and really did make me sad. It's, it's what, why would you have your son-in-law working at your law firm and then not have a close relationship with your daughter and your grandchildren. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And that actually just made me feel sad for all those involved. But one of the things that was the most shocking legally is that in email correspondence between a David Lear, Keith Griffin, and Girardi's longtime assistant shows that they knew in May 2020. So the settlements got funded in March. They should have gotten out to the clients within like 30 days. So by the end of April, being generous, giving a little time due to COVID and shutdowns. But they knew in May 2020 that Jordy was planning to send fabrication-filled letters to their clients to buy more time to deliver the funds. This causes me concern because if Girardi is sending what they said were fabrication-filled letters in May of 2020, for funds that by all accounts were received by Girardi Keys in March of 2020, then where did this, where did the funds go between March and May? Because that would indicate to me, if you're sending letters instead of just sending the money, it indicates to me that the money probably wasn't there. And that's my presumption based on the evidence we have at hand, which will be very interesting because as we get to what comes next, the judge is very interested in what the client trust accounts looked like and when the money was there or not there. So if the money was already gone by May, as the attorneys are figuring out that this is not going to get paid, I don't know how much responsibility Edelson PC will have. I don't even think they were aware by May that this hadn't been paid, or at least it was not clear that Edelson PC was aware that Girardi Keese had received money from Boeing. In Griffin's testimony, it's interesting because he talked about how connected and vindictive he believed Tom Girardi to be. And the court said that, quote, a coercion defense isn't persuasive to me. I don't care who Tom Girardi was. The court was not persuaded and said that he would not be persuaded by the attorneys feeling intimidated by Tom Girardi. The attorneys both shared that they were W-2 employees, that they had no authority over the firm's finances, that we know that David Lira did have signing authority over those accounts. And Griffin said that he pressured and pushed and asked Tom to make sure that the clients were getting paid, but he believed Lira was in a better position and that Lira was the more senior attorney to him, Um, which is, you know, I get, I can, I can see how that can happen where Griffin is like, look, you're his son-in-law. What do we do? It's just that while this was going on at their firm, that it seems Griffin and Lyra were representing to Edelson PC, like, oh, it's in very vague terms, it's getting handled. And I just, I just wonder if someone had said something in May, was it already too late then? And I think that's what the court is wondering too. And as I said before, I really think that with Girardi Keys and Tom Girardi already being held in contempt, that I don't think we will see Lyra Griffin or even anyone from Edelson PC being held in contempt for failure to follow the court's order to pay um, the clients within 30 days of the funding of these settlements. 
partly because Girardi Keese is on the order and partly because, well, no, mostly because Girardi Keese is the firm whose name's on the order, who had the connection to the clients and who received the money and whether two attorneys that were W-2 employees can actually be held in contempt for what Tom Girardi did or did not do, I don't know. Um, They were also not under an order to report the activity of Tom Girardi to the court or to the bar. California is the only state left that doesn't have what's often referred to as a snitch rule. And they're not, lawyers in California aren't required to report the behavior or the ethical lapses of other attorneys. Now, attorneys in Illinois do have that responsibility. And that will be interesting as it comes up to Edelson PC, whether or not Edelson knew enough that they should have gone to either the licensing, the bar, the licensing authorities, or to the court because the court had made an order that the clients get paid. But also from Edelson PC's perspective, if they have a duty to report behavior to the bar in Illinois, how does that apply to California attorneys? Do they have an obligation to report a firm licensed in California to the licensing authority in Illinois? Because what can the Illinois State Bar do to Girardi Keys? They're not licensed in Illinois. The bar doesn't have authority over them. So while Illinois requires this kind of misconduct to be uh, reported when it is known, what Edelson PC knew and when is a question, how certain they were of it is a question, and whether the Illinois bar is who you would report it to because this isn't an Illinois attorney. It's California attorneys and California law firms, and California has no such rule. And even if California had such a rule, it would only apply to Griffin and Lira, not to Edelson PC, because they're licensed in Illinois. So there's there's a lot here with the kind of deep dive on the professional responsibility and the professional ethics questions. But again, when the court has to decide this, I think the court's looking more towards who to sanction and where money can come from to pay these clients than really towards um, if anyone else needs to be held in contempt. That's not to say that the court can't. And we'll talk about what the court rules um, as we get to the end of this. I really do want to talk about the testimony from Jay Edelson, um, because that's the part of the hearing that I was able to, you know, remotely attend via via Zoom or WebEx because, well, because I was available, because it was made public. Thank you, public court hearings. So the others came from reporting from both Law 360 and Bloomberg Law, because um, most outlets did not report on these hearings at all, even though, again, the question is, why didn't the attorneys at Girardi Keys do anything. And this three days of hearings is supposed to get to the heart of that. It seems that most of the interest is in, you know, should Erica Girardi just be skewered publicly for her posts on Instagram and Twitter. But I think that as it relates to the clients, if the other attorneys in the firm knew that clients weren't getting paid, uh, what is their responsibility? And And should they have to pay back these clients? And we're seeing it in the Murdoch case where the Murdoch firm or the the larger firm that that Murdoch was working for, and I will link that episode uh, below and on YouTube in a card, but his firm paid the clients back and then sued him to get the money back. And is that something that should have or could still happen here where the clients are paid back by the attorneys? Though they're going to argue we didn't benefit enough to even pay these clients back because we didn't have we never got the money that should have gone to them. So we we can't pay the money back. We don't have the money. And knowing that Tom Girardi's in bankruptcy and there's over a hundred million in liabilities and clearly not as much in assets, even if they sued in bankruptcy, would they get any of that back? So it's uh It's a whole ass situation. Let's talk about Jay Edelson's testimony during the contempt hearing. There were things that we kind of learned again from that initial lawsuit two years ago and things that we learned for the first time. The court really seemed concerned with the timing 
of how much was known, when it was known, and what or any obligation was to happen. We learned that Jay Edelson's um, impressions of Tom Girardi were that he did not particularly like Tom Girardi. He said, funny enough, like he, he, Tom Girardi was someone I was familiar with in terms of lawyers I'd worked with. And it felt like he was saying, I know this type of dude. He's very much like these other lawyers who are not modern, who are crude. Um, and he said, I didn't like him personally because everything was about his ego and narcissism. That was his testimony. He talked about how when he was out in LA, the firm wasn't very modern, but also that we went to Morton's and that Tom's name was on the menu. And he, Tom was very proud of showing that off and also very impressed um, with those things. And Jay Edelson was saying it just wasn't uh, of a lot of interest to him. This isn't someone that he liked. We also heard from Jay Edelson with respect to the timing that one of the things that didn't really ring alarm bells for them early on in this is that they knew that Girardi Keese was not a very modern practice and they knew that Tom Girardi was having health issues. So when the settlements funded in March, first Edelson PC said they didn't know the settlements funded in March. And second, with everything going on, um, some of the delays didn't raise as much concern as they would have had we not been at the very beginning of all of the COVID lockdowns. And this is something that's addressed in Edelson PC's first lawsuit as well in voicemails from Tom Girardi that they linked. And I'm going to play in just a moment where he's saying, you know, the doctor has cleared me. I'm out. I'm, I'm out of the hospital. And it was very interesting because in the lawsuit and in other filings, it had all been due to a serious illness. And it seems from the filing of the rule to show cause that that timing was around late summer 2020. So July, August, that Girardi was unavailable due to a serious illness. What Jay Edelson testified to was that Tom had a brain tumor, which was cancer related behind his eye. And Edelson said the image he was left with was that Tom was fighting for his life and fighting cancer all during COVID so that there was a little bit of grace given by Edelson PC to Tom Girardi due to that, which is so interesting because we heard in Housewives, Erica talking about he needed surgery on his eye and the house was broken into. And I don't know if these things are related, if they're not related, what if any of it is even true at all, but this is what Edelson was told. And it's backed up in voicemails that Edelson attached to their lawsuit in December, 2020. And let's listen to those two voicemails from the lawsuit now. Ralph Isaac, Tom Girardi, I'm, we're doing good on this thing, getting things squared away and shit. Oh, um, don't be mean to me. <laughs> be nice to me. I'm doing good. It was because of me that we got this, by the way. Anyway, um, I'm uh, doing some hospital testing the next two days, but I'll be in touch. Don't, don't worry about everything. We're friends. Things are going to work out good. Goodbye. It's so interesting to me that he said, you know, don't be mean to me. We're friends. Everything's going to work out good. I'm doing hospital testing. And this all seems to be in that period of late summer as Edelson PC is really pushing. Where are these payments? What is happening? Have the clients been paid? What WTF is even going on? And it's, well, remember, I'm the reason we even got this. So, you know, your legal fees and the two plus million dollars that you're going to get in attorney's fees. I got this. Um, I did this. Like I gave this to you. It's very interesting that there's this, I'm a nice guy. Please be nice to me. But also remember what side your bread is buttered on. Essentially. Um, I did this and it had a little bit of that, you know, Tom Girardi giveth, Tom Girardi taketh away. This is the second voicemail that is attached to the, Edelson PC lawsuit from December 2020. Hey, uh, Tom Girardi, um, we screwed up here a little bit. We got things, we had three different air crashes and they got a little screwed up. I'll have everything worked out by Thursday. 
I'm so sorry. This doesn't, it's never happened before. But anyway, everything will be smoked over on Thursday. Thank you. And in Jay Edelson's testimony at the hearing, he talked about the fact that he was told, you know, it's going to be taken care of. And he brought it up in his lawsuit too. I was told it's going to be taken care of. In Jay's testimony, and even in the testimony of Lyra and Griffin, you see this kind of running theme of disbelief that the money would actually be all the way gone until very late in the game. And from Edelson, you really see that until, you know, that the contempt, not the contempt hearing, but the um, the first hearing in December with Judge Durkin when Girardi's lawyer said the money's gone was the first time that Edelson really realized that the money was gone, even though it was suspected in November when Erica filed for divorce. But what we also heard that was absolutely shocking was not just about the hospitalization and a potential cancer-related brain tumor that Edelson PC was told, and you heard in those voicemails uh, Tom Jordy alluding to hospital testing, but also there was something deeper than that that Edelson testified to. Jay said that when he was on the stand that he had had conversations with Tom Girardi after he filed the order to show cause, which was filed in December 2020. He said, Tom started calling me trying to explain that if we simply dropped it, he would make me a ton of money because of his California with Uh, because of his connection with judges in California. Jay Edelson testified that he asked Tom directly, do you know how much money you've taken? And he said 500, which seemed to indicate 500,000 each. And I said total, so 2 million total. Jay Edelson testified that he said to Tom, this is going to be very, very bad for you. And Tom said, I should get off the phone. Jay Edelson continued to testify that Tom said a lot of, I'm a nice guy, but that the entire thing was beyond unseemly. Judge Durkin interjected and said, did he sound lucid? And Jay Edelson said yes, because he knew specifically the amount of money uh, that he had stolen. And those were uh, Edelson's words from his testimony. And the court asked again, He said, you can make a ton of money because of my connection with judges in California. And Jay Edelson said, yes. And there are voicemails that back that up. So let's listen to these exclusive voicemails. Uh, I modified both of them because in them, Tom Girardi left what I believe to be his personal phone number in them. It's not I I looked into it. It's not a number connected with the firm. And I didn't want, if this is still his number, to blast that on the internet. So I redacted out the rest of the phone number, only leaving in the area code. So let's listen to these two voicemails and talk about how they connect with Jay Edelson's testimony at the contempt hearing. Hey, Jay, Tom Girardi, happy uh, whatever it is, Uh, 626. It would be really great to talk to you. I'm a good guy. I get along great with all the judges. I can do some real good shit. But I want to make sure you know we'd be joined at the hip. Um, Give me a call, please. Thanks, babe. So I can do some real good shit. I'm in real good with all the judges. Thanks, babe. And the next one alluding to the money to be made. And these are from after the order to show cause about the client payments was filed. Jay, Tom Girardi, doctors totally cleared me. I can go back to my 80 hours a week work. I want to be in charge of all of your shit. At the end of about nine months, I want you to say, God, Tom, you made me another million. Give me a call. I want to talk to you when you have a chance. 626. Thanks, babe. I made you another million. Thanks, babe. Very, very interesting um, when taken together and when taken with the testimony that Jay Edelson's impression of conversations was you can make a ton of money because of my connection with judges in California. And I want to, you know, the I want to be in charge of all of your shit. How do you take that? I would love to know. Please 
on the YouTubes, let me know in the comments. If you're listening on the podcast, let me know. We're going to have a total chat about this in Patreon and let me know uh, on social media. I will be putting up a post about this episode because I really do want to hear your thoughts. Jay Edelson testified that the this kind of line of, of phone calls and conversations felt unseemly to him. What do you think from those two voicemails? What's your takeaway? After the direct examination, there was cross-examination by attorneys for uh, Griffin and for Lyra. I did not hear all of it because I also streamed uh, the day that this was going on because I didn't want to move my Tuesday live stream because, you know, live stream life. And it was very interesting hearing some of the cross-examination. A lot of it was about whether or not there was a valid fee agreement between Edelson PC and Girardi Keese. And that's something that we've seen hit on in the bankruptcy court as well, and that we've seen hit on on social media uh, by Twitter commentator Richards when he has kind of struck out towards Jay Edelson and Jay Edelson has struck back out towards him. There's definitely been some Twitter exchanges between the two and exchanges in the bankruptcy court between the two. Because remember, Edelson PC filed a motion in the bankruptcy court to make sure that they could continue to pursue Erica Girardi and her companies in the Illinois lawsuit against Tom Girardi, Girardi Keys, Griffin, Lyra, her, her companies, to try to recover these fees for the clients that have not been paid and wanted leave from the bankruptcy court to make sure that Erica wasn't going to try to say, look, I'm I'm covered by the bankruptcy stay because, again, Erica is not a debtor in that bankruptcy. So there has been quite a lot of back and forth with Edelson PC in connection to not just their own lawsuit, but in connection to the bankruptcy and those in connection with the bankruptcy. And lots of uh, strong statements made prior to Ron Richards either leaving and being and or being fired as the special prosecutor for the bankruptcy trustee, depending on whose statement of that uh, you take, because Edelson said he was fired. Um, strangely, Richard said that he chose to leave because he wanted to be free to make more comment about the case. So back to the cross-examination. On cross-examination, again, the, the key point was really the client agreement, the back and forth of who was being sued for what and who had the duty of care and did Edelson have a duty of care? Should he have reported to the Illinois bar trying to point out anything that uh, Edelson might have done that could be perceived as wrong by the court? Because of course that's what cross-examination is for. Other attorneys from the Edelson PC firm testified that afternoon, Ari Schrag being one of them. And then we get to the court's ruling and this was, I think, the most important part. The court asked all of the attorneys to work together to prepare a chart of the IOLTA accounts. Um, the IOLTA accounts are the client accounts or the client trust accounts, which is, IOLTA is so, it's I-O-L-T-A. It's so hard to pronounce the interest on lawyer trust account, but the accounts where the money would have gone into after it was wired from Boeing. The court asked that someone or the attorneys together prepare a chart as to the balances in those accounts. And we've gone over some of these in the state bar actions against Tom Girardi. They had um, one of the accounts for one of the clients showing where the money was going out, even though the client wasn't paid. It seems that what the court was looking for is how much money were in was in the account at different points after Boeing funded the settlements in March 2020. And various attorneys asked for clarifying questions. Do you want us to track the money when it went out and how much it went out? Talking about the fact that there are over 156 different bank accounts, a lot of those being uh, trust accounts, that the first friend, this is something I hadn't heard yet either, that the first forensic accountant that was hired by the bankruptcy trustee quit out of frustration and that the attorney representing this to the court did not know if a new forensic accountant has been brought on yet, which I was like, wait, what? So the forensic accountant in the bankruptcy case was like, I literally, I cannot, I cannot. There, there is not enough money in the world. That's my exposition on the matter, but um, quit out of frustration. And based on what we've seen the bankruptcy trustees say in their filings that 
the accounts were in such disarray that this does seem like it's going to be quite a difficult task. So with that, the court said, do your best. Um, I want to know, and these are my notes uh, directly from listening to what the court was saying. I want to know how much was in the account and when um, and what was being written out of it and the expenses, a Lamborghini or whatever it was, the court's word, it's not mine. I would like to know from the date you have those records to the end of it, the amounts coming out of it. Um, he also said that Girardi Keys may have been an empty shell in December or in March. I want to see the bank accounts and the amounts in the IOLTA accounts. The court said, I'm looking for money that went to the firm that would have been available had people come to me earlier. The court made it very clear that they want to know how much money was in the IOLTA accounts or in the firm, that if somebody had come to the court in May or June or July instead of December, would the court have been able to freeze the firm's assets then and pull the money out and give it to the Lion Air clients? So the court's trying to find at what point. The thing that causes me pause and concern is that during um, Lyra and Griffin's testimony, it was discussed that there were letters going out to the clients in May 2020 um, that were, quote, full of fabrications saying that uh, to delay or to explain the delay in the payments going out, which concerns me that even as of May 2020, just two months after the Boeing wire transfers, that this money was already gone. So even, even at that point, it would have been uh, too late, but maybe the money was still within the firm books and had not been moved all the way out of the firm. And that, it seems to be what the court is looking for. The court then asked for further briefing from the lawyers. The court said that they want the briefs to focus on the inherent power of the court to sanction the lawyers. It's like, write me a brief on how I may punish you. Tell me why. Tell me why this money is all gone. Tell me why your clients never got paid. Tell me why I really want to sanction you because I want it that way. Sorry, I just, yep, that was spontaneous because uh, that's how my brain works. The judge really wants to sanction these attorneys and asked for briefing about it. The court said, brief, no more than 15 pages. Federal courts have the ability to fashion an applicable sanction. Direct violation of a court order is not always needed to issue sanctions. So even if the lawyers are going to say, look, we didn't directly violate the court's order to pay this out to the clients in 30 days. Tom Girardi and Girardi Keys did. We did not. The court said, there is a contemplation in the federal case law, and the court cited three different cases. There is contemplation in the law that the court has the power to sanction even absent the violation of a court order. And the court said, quote, do I have the power to order you to pay the clients, not because you violated a court order, but because in failing to come to me, you caused the plaintiffs to lose that money and asked for all the attorneys to brief this. So I think, again, the court is contemplating not that Lyra Griffin and Edelson PC may somehow be in contempt of the court's order. The court already found Girardi Keys and Tom Girardi in contempt. But short of being in contempt, short of violating the court's order, can the court try to dis, you know, disengorge the funds from these three attorneys and then let them go after Tom Girardi for it in the bankruptcy and battle it out with everyone else. The court said that there will be oral arguments after the briefs are filed and that the court wanted the attorneys to go beyond contempt to the inherent ability of the court to issue sanctions. So at the end of the day, the court wants to try to get to these attorneys. And we saw the court ask about that when Edelson PC was, when Edelson PC, when Jay Edelson, founder of Edelson PC, was testifying. The court said, um, Have you considered paying these clients from firm funds and then going after and suing those responsible? And Edelson said, um, in, in a fairly long answer, that their firm is already out $2.5 million in legal fees that they know they're not going to get paid back, that paying out the clients would have a big impact on our firm, and that they haven't asked us to do that. Uh, the court said, 
the court interjected and said, they don't need to ask. I think that someone in Indonesia, that this is a group of attorneys and somehow this money got paid by Boeing and didn't get to them. I'm not arguing that you have a legal obligation to do it. I'm asking if you've considered it. And Jay said, um, again, it's a lot of money from the firm, but we are considering lots of ways, including from our own pocketbooks, to make it right. Edelson made clear that it is their firm's contemplation, not that they're going to get their attorney's fees back. It seems that they've already kind of resigned to the fact that those fees are not coming back into their firm, but that they will um, continue to try to find ways to make sure that the Lion Air clients do get paid, that an amount that's going to be somewhat over $2 million at this point. With that, we also saw Jay Edelson making some statements about this case on Twitter. And I'm just going to go through that Twitter thread a little bit now and then um, to a statement that Jay Edelson gave to me and one that was given to Law 360. Uh, Jay Edelson tweeted out on December 11th, I have a number of things I would like to say about the current Girardi contempt hearing and the events swirling around this threat alert. First, we understand that there are a lot of people who want to switch the focus on the key takeaways from the hearing. These people include Tom and his defenders, hashtag Eric Jane, and yes, at Ron Richards. More on him later. So what happened at the contempt hearing, question mark, which I'm saying for those of you listening, I should just use the voice inflection, Emily. You don't have to read it like you're voice texting it. So what happened at the contempt hearing? Well, we believe we demonstrated that Girardi Keese was operating a criminal enterprise. We believe we showed that they were operating a Ponzi scheme and stole money from clients. For people who care about reform and justice, this is central. We also heard testimony and argument from Tom's partners that he controlled the California bar, as well as having outsized influence with judges and politicians. This is central to the underlying question of how they got away with it for so many years. It's interesting because when I when the first LA Times articles came out and the first things broke, I said, this sounds like a Ponzi scheme. And Richard said on numerous podcasts that my assessment was inaccurate and that this clearly isn't a Ponzi scheme. However, I am still of the same mind and it's the Edelson, Jay Edelson seems to be of the same mind as well, that this is taking money from what's coming in new to pay back what's old and not put it where it's going is formed like a Ponzi scheme. And when Edelson uses the word criminal enterprises, it makes me wonder if Edelson is considering that when the U.S. Attorney's Office looks at this, if they will determine that this is some kind of a RICO case, which again will be a difficult prosecution given that the main individual here, Tom Girardi, is under a conservatorship and legally incompetent. And so how do you prosecute someone who is legally incompetent at this point? Let's continue on with this thread. Continuing this thread, Edelson said, the court may well find that we should have spoken out earlier. If so, I am a big boy and can accept that someone can come to a different conclusion than I did. I I'm not even saying that the judge would be wrong. What I am uh, what I am completely certain of is that despite at Ron Richards' insane uh, paren and hypocritical comments, we never put our fees first. Tom and his stooges tried to bribe slash coerce us, and that just spurred us on further. On the hashtag Ron Richards front, we will be responding much more forcefully, including by sadly preparing a complaint against him. So there is no confusion. He has been lying for months. Oof. At Ron Richards, lies have been big and small. And I say at because those of you listening, it is added on Twitter. Jay, you know, you got to respect the Twitter hustle that Edelson did not just name him without adding him. He is added on all of this, which means Richards would be notified that this is being said about him. So it's not, uh, it's not like someone blocking someone and then adding them and being like, oh, you can't see it because I blocked you first. There's Twitter fuckery that can absolutely happen. This is a Twitter statement, but I don't see fuckery. So continuing on, they Jay Edelson goes on to tweet, at Ron Richards' lies have been big and small. Big ones include colluding with Erica and trying to smear us by saying we don't have a fee agreement with the clients. Uh, parentheses, this was because we uncovered evidence that Ron was trying to bury demonstrating Erica's legal liability. They say his nonsense 
over the TikTok case is more of the same. We objected to the settlement because it's a bad deal. That is part of the fabric of this firm, or sorry, of the firm. We aren't cowed by other lawyers and believe the plaintiff's bar should be doing better. But wait, at Ron Richards says, in your brief, you accuse class counsel of trying to shake you down and you did it publicly. The first part the first point is correct, and we stand by that. The idea of BTW that Richards is so desperately wants to believe anyone who is at odds with us is telling. They go on to say the second part is just wrong. We filed our motion under seal. We had no need to make it public. At Ron Richards also says that we all have to be judged by our results. This I agree with. We have recovered over $20 million for Tom's victims and secured multi-million dollar judgments as well. We have not taken a penny, nor will we. Our clients have been fully paid. The idea that our firm hasn't gotten groundbreaking results more generally is just silly. We have recovered billions of dollars for our clients, often advancing theories that were novel and untested. Our suit against Facebook for its part in the Rohingya genocide is a recent example of us bringing suits that others think are too risky or difficult. We also well know that when you go after fraudsters, back to Girardi, that their primary defense will be to point the fingers at us. We sued an attorney years ago for illegal practices. What did he do? Sued us back and said the worst things possible. At Ron Richards would have been tweeting his allegations, jumping up and down about how it proved we were bad guys. What happened? We won the case. He apologized to the court, saying his actions would be a scarlet letter he would wear for years. That lawyer made those allegations not because he believed them, but because he thought we would back down. Same thing with Tom's partners. Keith Griffin, through counsel, has told us for months that if we went after Keith, they would bloody us up. Right after the hearing on Friday, he approached us again to make a deal to get us to walk away. His view was, quote, we got the judge to look at you, let this go, and you won't be under scrutiny, end quote. Again, this fundamentally misunderstands our firm. We won't back down from threats. Paren, it also misunderstands the court process. This is in the court's hands as it should be. There can be no deals in Paren. To be clear, we could have stopped pushing this case after getting Tom disbarred. We didn't because there are other wrongdoers. We simply aren't going to be pushed off our investigation, not by at Ron Richards' meltdown, not by Erica's lies, not by the pressure by others in the plaintiff's bar, and certainly not by Tom's crew. So there's a lot there. I don't know what went on with Richards before all of the tweeting. Uh, I don't really pay attention to what he's doing. I do I do not check on him, as he would say, but something happened um, that prompted that. There's more, though. We're not done yet. This Twitter thread ended with, we pushed for these contempt proceedings to be made public because this stuff matters, and they were public, which is why I was able to call in and attend. I personally invite everyone to watch our testimony and our closing arguments on Zoom on Tuesday. I'll separately post details. We will get hard but fair questions and answer them fully. We believe the court will take the appropriate actions. If that means dinging us for not moving more quickly, that's fine. But we are in the third inning here. We can get the stolen money back and push for much needed reforms. That is our mission and we will stay true to that. After So that was all posted December 11th before Jay Edelson and others from his law firm's testimony. If you want to go and look at uh, this thread, it is on Jay Edelson's Twitter. He's just at Jay Edelson on Twitter, J-J-A-Y. And I also shared part of that thread on my Twitter. I did not actually go look to see if Richard responded. He responded to one of my tweets and said, these are the questions I want answered. And those questions are... And it was it was not even in a notes app reply. It, it looks like a word, a, a doc, actual document, not a notes app reply. Um, here are the questions we hope are answered on Tuesday by Edelson. And this was um, responded to me by Ron Richards over on Twitter. One, why did you wait over four months after disclosure of clients not getting paid to report Girardi to Judge Durkin? Two, why didn't you ask Boeing about the settlement money? Three, why didn't you fact check Girardi's lies to you? 
Four, why are you not equally culpable for failing to notify the court of a violation? Five, how did you not know that a personal injury settlement is tax-free? This would have refuted Girardi's delay excuse. That was actually addressed in the hearing. Um, Six, are you going to report a loss to your malpractice carrier to pay the victims? That was also addressed at the hearing. Seven, are you going to actually take some financial responsibility for the Boeing victims losing their money? Eight, and the court asked that. Eight, are you going to keep persisting in the position that you genuinely believe Jordy didn't steal the money when all the facts supported that belief? Nine, is the judge wrong when he said you are in the soup too? Question mark. Ten, where are the fee agreements signed by the Boeing victims authorizing you to collect fees? Uh, the fee agreements came up. The months of disclosure came up. Judge Durkin asked about it and Edelson answered it in, in pretty full detail saying that they were investigating it and that they felt like they didn't have anything solid because it was hard for them to really believe that the money would have been stolen, that they thought there was a clerical error, that they believed what was being said by Griffin and Lyra, and that they were trying to investigate it so that when they brought it to the judge, that they had something solid. Um, they said it was like, Jay Edelson said it was like jello, like there was nothing tangible and they didn't want to leverage such large allegations until they had something tangible. So it was a lot of the questions that Richards posed uh, were either addressed by cross-examination, by direct examination, or by the judge asking themselves. In a statement to Law 360, uh, Jay Edelson, after the hearing, said, we believe we demonstrated that Keith and David are not innocent bystanders, but rather knew about the lies and covered them up so that they could remain on the Girardi gravy train. I'm immensely proud of the work our firm has done in exposing this and in the steps we have taken to get justice for the victim. We are not done, but as I signaled to the court, and we will be explaining in more detail, I cannot live in a universe where my clients, widows and orphans, are not made whole. And after watching the hearing and hearing what Jay Edelson testified to, I reached out and asked if he had any comment after the contempt hearing. And this was before the article came out on Law 360. So I didn't, I had not seen that statement, yet, which is why I asked. Um, and this is the statement just provided by Jay Edelson, which was, we appreciate the time and attention the court took with this trial. The judge asked hard but fair questions of everyone, and I'm confident that he will do what he thinks is right. Overall, I don't want people to lose sight of the big picture. We believe that we proved in court that Girardi Keyes was operating as a criminal enterprise. Its legacy will be that it ran the largest firm Ponzi scheme in modern time, constantly stealing from one client to pay other creditors or to put money in the pockets of its attorneys and their families. We believe we demonstrated that Keith and David are not innocent bystanders, but rather knew about the lies and covered them up so that their paychecks, funded by client money, kept rolling in. We also provided direct evidence that Keith helped instruct others at the firm to provide only partial payments to clients, even though he knew it was improper. And we provided evidence that David was sending money to previous clients with the Lion Air client funds. I am immensely proud of the work our firm has done in exposing this and in the steps we have taken to get payments to the clients. And in the steps we have taken to get justice for the victims. We are not done. But as I signaled to the court, and we will be explaining in more detail soon, I cannot live in a universe where my clients, widows and orphans, are not made whole. We believe we have a moral duty to make this right, and we will do so. We will also continue to push for much-needed reforms, including calling out others who we believe aided and abetted the Ponzi scheme. And although this, too, will put us in the crosshairs, we will not stop our call for the California bar to appoint an independent prosecutor and take a long, hard look at itself. And with that, this case is far from over. The ripples that will be caused here are going to be seismic. Um, appropriate for a California law firm, perhaps. Emily, too early for an earthquake joke? No, never, never. I moved um, <laughs> to the land of tornadoes and not earthquakes, but that is a topic for another day. So, let me know what you think. This case is going to have large impact. Will the California State Bar change its no snitch rule? 
Will it take a look at itself? Will the documents that the LA Times has been asking for from the State Bar be publicly disclosed? What else will we see from this in 2022? And what will the judge rule here? I guess we'll find out in the new year. So we are one year of covering this case and counting. What what was your biggest takeaway from today's episode? What was the most shocking part of it all to you? And with that, it's time to say goodbye. Raise a glass. Say it with me. May your Wi-Fi be strong. May your toilet paper be plentiful. May your family be well. And may the odds be ever in your favor. And to all of you celebrating, have a very Merry Christmas. I will be with you one more time before the new year, my friends. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being a Lonard. I appreciate you. And I will see you in the next one.